When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, fellow tennis fans. This is Stavon Shah from Rainy Antwerp, Belgium. And you're listening to the absolutely sensational tennis podcast. Hello, folks, and welcome to our final tennis podcast of 2021. Don't worry, 2022, and all that it may hold is not that far away, which means that more podcasts aren't that far away. But for the glory that has been 2021, this is your last remaining hit of tennis podcast fun. It's guest edited again by Mike Lee, who did a stunning job of guest editing last week's listener question special. So, He's come back for more fun and he's done a stellar job as well. We've got brilliant questions again this week. Uh, thank you to Stavon, who we heard there in our intro in rainy Antwerp. I can tell you that it's also rainy in London. How are things looking in Solihull and Sussex, folks? I can only see a wall out my window, so I can't really tell. Probably for the best, David. I mean, things things are grim in the UK right now. Blanket grim. Can you confirm that? Yeah, dreary, overcast, grim. Mm, mm. Mm. A reflection of the state of affairs in the nation. But it's all fine. It's all fine because we've got the tennis podcast. We've got tennis. We've got one another. Billy Jean's just come and sat on my shoulder. Things are fine. And... Uh, David's told me I'm not allowed to mention the mascot until the end of the show because he doesn't trust me not to spend five minutes uh, on Slugger. Um, but just to tease you, it's a good one, folks. Slugger is a good one. OK, uh, before David has a hissy fit at me and we have to halt this recording, I shall move on to Matters Listener Questions uh, and Mike's Selection for this week's show. So without further ado, our first question uh, is, with all the majors using different methods of resolving their final sets, rank them from your most favourite method to your least favourite method and why? David's grinning. Matt is moving the microphone closer to his mouth. Who would like to go first? I'm happy to take this. I feel strongly about this. Go. Off you go. And I also have a different answer depending on whether it's best of three sets or best of five sets. Mm, Yes. I'll start with best of three. My ranking would be number one, the French Open, 
play it out, no tiebreak. Then it would be the Australian Open, tiebreak to 10 at 6 all. Then it would be US Open, tiebreak to 7 at 6 all. And then it would be Wimbledon, tiebreak to 7 at 12 all. For best of five, I would say my favourite is the Australian Open, tiebreak to 10 at 6 all. Then it would be US Open, tiebreak to 7 at 6 all. Then it would be French Open, play it out. And then finally, again in last place, it would be a tiebreak at 12 all, which is what Wimbledon has. And the reason why that one comes last for me is that it just doesn't feel like the right climax. I think if you've got to 12 all, you want to see a break of serve at that point. That's the fascinating element there. Can you break serve? And if it ends up in a tiebreak, you sort of think, well, why didn't we do this an hour ago and have that brilliant climax there and then? Um, the reason I distinguish between best of three and best of five is I think most of the time, if you get to a six all in the third set, the match hasn't, you know, most likely it's not gone on for a ridiculous period of time. I want to see a break of serve. I think that's fascinating. But I do think best of five, especially given schedule concerns, I think uh, I think it's sensible to stop those matches at that point in the fifth set. And I think a tie break, especially to ten, is a great is a great climax. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, I, I definitely think of the I I've always enjoyed a fifth set tie break. Personally, I, I like it as a a climax a real pointed climax to a match, a crescendo. Um, and while I while I, I, I wasn't necessarily, I was somewhat unmoved by the 10-point tiebreak uh, at the Australian Open when it was introduced, I actually really like it. And, and that is my preferred scenario at the end of a best-of-five set match. I agree with you, Matt, about Wimbledon. Um, I thought it sounded like a really good idea at the time, but now we've seen it play out a few times. It does feel like neither one thing, neither one thing nor the other. It doesn't sort of quicken things up um, enough to justify the removal. Not quicken things up. It's about more than that. It doesn't put a fine enough point on the match in order to justify the removal of you know what you gain from from watching two players slug it out and and have to secure that break of serve. So I think actually in practice, I don't love the uh, the normal tie break at 12 points all. Quite, I've always quite liked what the US Open have. I, I think it's just pipped by the Australian Open because um, just the 10-point tie break's cool and I think it clearly works. Um, I, I think, yeah, same as you, my preference in women's tennis at, at the moment would be the French Open scenario. You know, it feels wrong to be curtailing a women's match because you know the best women's match I want to bet women's matches I always want more of them three sets is never enough um, so sort of the more of them the better but um I feel bad putting Wimbledon in last place for both well blame John Isner yeah well <laughs> yeah because I really you know I see what they've tried to do and I see how on paper it looked like a good idea um it's a bit unfortunate for them but I think it's just not it's just not quite in practice panned out um, as 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 great as planned. But, you know, there we go. David, different feelings? Yeah, I would treat them both the same in terms of which one I would go for. I, I would still, if it was up to me, be putting 
women's matches at best of five, certainly from quarterfinals onwards anyway. But even within the three-set format, I, I, I think we now need tie breaks in the fifth or the third set, the deciding set. I think you need to have that um, in this day and age. And I think... That, that that's a bit of a change for you David isn't it well I, I am somebody who used to love long matches for the f- ridiculousness of it all and um but I think we we have to be able to adapt at least to some degree and have a, a, an end point to a match yeah I, I don't really feel comfortable with the I'm not great on the Wimbledon one either because I think once you get to the point of 12 all, you're almost, I think players are bearing that in mind, a bit like a team mm. nearing a penalty mm. shootout in extra time. Some teams just think, actually, we're not going to try and win it in extra time. We're going to wait for the penalty shootout. And I think there's probably a bit of that in in the 12 all thing. And I, d- I don't like that. I'd rather, if it comes to it, I'd rather have the French Open style, I think. But... Ahead of them both would be Australian Open first for both. Um, six all, first 10-point tiebreak, and then second US Open, third French Open, then fourth Wimbledon. How do you feel generally about them all being different? I would rather they choose one and we're all the same, personally. I, I'd be happier, I think. And I think that that would be helpful for the tennis fan. I don't think it's great, the tennis fan mm-hmm. not really knowing. I mean, or having to have done a bit of homework or, ha- you know, there's going to be confused people watching. Mm. I, th- I think it's fine for us. It's kind of fun, a fun novelty for us, you know, really nerdy tennis fans that they're all different. But I always feel sorry for the for the more casual mm-hmm. tennis fan. I always re- imagine their reaction, just trying to get their head around head around it all and try to understand it and you know I just don't want to be alienating those fans um and I don't think I don't think we gain enough for it to justify the cost to the to the casual fan of it all being different and and confusing that's my feeling about it um oh I feel I feel bad for Wimbledon with us all putting them last mm. I mean I don't I don't hate it no, no, nor do I. But it is just not. It's just not quite, is it? It's just, yeah. And it is all John Isner's fault. And I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we're all agreed on that. <laughs> okay. Next question comes from Dot Tyne on Twitter, which is an excellent name. Uh, they say, of all the matches you've watched or commentated on, which one holds the most significance for each of you personally, for whatever reason, and why? Um. I'm just going to be really boring and jump in here with a, an extremely boring and obvious answer. And I've tried to think of of something more interesting or quirky or unexpected, but it would be arbitrary because um, it's Emma Raducanu winning the US Open, obviously for me. And and my, I mean, I hope I'm just at the start ish of my career, but it it might very well always be that um, because. We've never seen anything like that and we may never see anything like that again. And the fact that I was the the presenter bringing that to the, the British public is something I still can't quite quite wrap my head around. Um, and I'll be okay with it if that is never topped uh, in my career. And probably Emma Anacarney feels the same. Um, she, she's more likely to top it than I am probably. Um but yeah, sorry. That's really. I'm. I don't think that's recency bias. I really don't. Um, it was incredibly special, and will. 
live with me forever. Hmm. Yeah, I think um, for me as a as a, a radio commentator, I, I would pick two different matches. One because of its significance and the fact that I just happened to be the commentator at the point when it felt like everybody was listening, everybody cared in the country. And that would be when Andy Murray finished the year number one in the world in 2016 and he beat Novak Djokovic. And I know that we were on you know, national radio in the afternoon and and so often and this goes back to what we were discussing in the last show about me listening back and cringing at things I've said or things I've done and this was one of the rare occasions where I listened back and I thought yeah that was all right that 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 was okay and uh and you know you don't know whether you're going to get the words right or not and on that day I thought I did so did you buy yourself a trophy or two <laughs> quite happily do that you know <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure how to word the trophy. Well, no, well, no, re- no room on the shelves, David. No, no what would all my predictions wins um, from the one year when I bought two? Um, but no, I would say that one. And, you know, it was just such a, a struggle and a, and he'd been trying for so long and, so, and, you know, classic Murray climbing the mountain and finally reaching the top. And to be describing that and then it, that commentary was used sort of when he won... BBC Sports Personality of the Year a few weeks later, you know, just to things like that are a great buzz for a commentator, you know. I can't can't say otherwise. I think just for having there are some matches I've done where there might not have been hardly anybody listening at all, but I am just having the time of my life because of what sort of match it is. And my mind goes back to Stan Wawrinka against Novak Djokovic at the Australian Open about seven years ago, where they went five sets deep into the night and you felt like everybody in the stadium was just having the best time as the best player in the world was taking on this guy who felt like he could pick up mountains and toss them over his back. And you're you're so good at that, David, conveying conveying that to the listener without making them feel left out, like, oh, we're all here having a great time. You're, you know, somewhere else in miserable, cold Solihull or whatever. (laughs) Um, You're so good. You're so great at conveying it and also bringing the listener in. That is that's oh, when you, you totally come into your own. I think. Yeah, that that was that was just great fun, and uh, yeah, may, may, those sort of matches. And and I remember when we had the the U.S. Open semi-finals night with Brady and Osaka and Serena Williams and Victoria Azarenka. It didn't matter that it was the middle of the night for the U.K. and that maybe there weren't that many people up listening, relatively speaking. But the ones that were, you just got the sense they were enjoying it. They were writing in and and feeling part of it. And yeah, those sort of moments you can't you can't create that from nothing they they happen and then you do your best to convey them you do a fine job david a very fine job um it's going to come to you matt but can i do you have a favorite commentary of david's oh, matt <laughs> i mean I, I always love david on curios yes that's a that's a great or combination david on tall people Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to feel bad. I, I don't know how many of those I've listened to. <laughs> They're worth avoiding, Matt. To be fair, what the, did you? What did you get sent out? To, you got sent to one this year at Wimbledon, oh. didn't you? It involved a pelka, I think. Yeah, I'm a pelka correspondent. Probably. But uh, just on on Kyrgios, I think the thing is, when I do his matches, I'm so torn between loving and hating him. 
you know, not not hating him, but hating what he's up to, you know. Sometimes his his behaviour appalls me, and sometimes I absolutely love it, you know. And and obviously love his tennis, and but I, but I hate how he's not making the most of it. But also, you know, it's all the contradictions are. I, you can't take your eyes off him, and therefore, as a commentator, I don't think you can ignore mm. him. Mm. But you know, there are some commentators who commentate the same on every match. Mm. You know, it doesn't really matter who's playing. That is how they commentate. And I always think you, David, are very good at adjusting for the player and yeah, getting and getting the feel. Gear. So that, yeah, the gear, the feel of the match across. Mm. Mm. And you also don't pretend when something's a stinker. Yeah, you don't pretend. You know. You don't pretend it's going to be top billing on match of the day. No, just say this you, you is admit rubbish. This is, this is going well, last. Stick with us, it might change. <laughs> <laughs> um, right then, next question comes from Bear Cam on Instagram. Hi, I'm a big fan of the tennis podcast. I have on my bucket list to go on a solo tennis watching vacation. Bear Can is our people, folks. Uh, I love to watch both men's and women's at all levels and find sometimes a 250 event can be just as exciting as a Masters level event. If you could choose only one whole tournament to attend live at the 250, 500 and 1000 level anywhere in the world, which would you choose? Matt, Acapulco, would you like to go Acapulco. Oh, right, okay, David would like to go first. Off you go then, David. <laughs> he's he's going loco in in Acapulco. Yeah. I just they just look like they're having the time of their lives there. Uh as as a, an audience, it's always packed. It's always hot and sweaty and I just can't get my I mean we're talking about Kyrgios. That was peak Kyrgios playing in Acapulco. And, and it's always on at rubbish hours of the day for us. Yeah. Here, isn't it? So we'd you'd you'd gain a lot by being there. And mm. we always used to say about Queens back in the days when it was a two fifty that the tournament punches above its weight, and you like that. I we liked that feel that that it felt like a bigger tournament than a two fifty on paper. And when I watch Acapulco, which I think is a five hundred, that always feels bigger, and the players seem so invested and. And they care about it. And, I mean, the affection with which Kyrgios talked about it that year he won it. I mean, I realised he was going out all hours of the night, having the time of his life and going on a motorboat and windsurfing or whatever in the days. But just generally, it was a buzz and it brought out the best in him. And I just think, imagine being able to just have a 10-day trip to Acapulco to just soak it all up and do what you want in the day. Ah. Oh. I want to do that. Yes, I was going to say Acapulco, but I was thinking for a solo trip, I'm not sure it would be Acapulco. I, I, I think I'd want to experience that with someone. I think that would be best enjoyed together. And I mean, it sounds like we're going, David. <laughs> and Cameron's going as well. I'm going without me. Um, well, Bear Can doesn't actually specify. They, they say they want to go on a solo tennis watching vacation, but they don't specify that we are attending solo. Okay. Mm. Well, it would be Acapulco. I, I, Where would you want to go solo? Somewhere just less fun. <laughs> well, I mean, everywhere is less fun, I think, than Acapulco. <laughs> that's the point. Um, I've always liked the look of Rome, I must say. I mean, I've, I've been to the to the venue in Rome and I've been to Rome and I've just never been to the tournament. And I love watching clay court tennis. That's probably my favourite to watch live, especially just... The rally construction, I think, is 
fascinating up close. Um, and it's a combined event, which are my favourite. Amazing atmospheres always in Rome. They, they have a night session as well, don't they? I always think Rome looks, looks like a great one. So you've both gone for Acapulco for your 500. Matt's gone for Rome for his 1,000. David? Um, for 1,000, I'd, I'd probably go Indian Wells, uh, which, which I just think is... I think the thing is, I've been to both Indian Wells and Miami. I, I don't know that many people who like those two the same. You're either an Indian Wells person who likes the lovely, clean, crisp air and the beautiful mountain ranges in the background and lots and lots of space, but it's fairly quiet, you know. Or you like the the feeling of Miami and how bustling it is and how much colour there is and different types of atmosphere and action going on and, you know... Certainly, the old Miami that was played at Crandon Park before they moved, you could, you could go to South Beach and all that sort of thing. There was a lot more going on. Um, but I, I would say as well, for a, a two fifty, I would look very closely at the the back to back tournaments after Wimbledon in Gstaad and Umag, which I, I worked at several years at both. I mean, totally different tournaments, but again, almost like comparing the Indian Wells and Miami thing. Gustard is in the Swiss mountains and it is absolutely stunning to look at. And the, the, the centre court there is called the Roy Emerson Arena because he used to run camps there for for tourists and people staying there. And, and um, so you've got this, this beautiful clay court just nestled in the mountains and it's just, just a wonderful scene. And then Umag is on the coast of Croatia in the height of the summer matches start every day at 5 p.m. because it's too hot in the day goes on until midnight then all the players go to the local nightclub and they're out all hours it's and and that's just accepted and no nobody minds at all and I've seen some incredible uh, matches great atmosphere players like Lubicic before he was able to get automatic entry into tournaments he would get wild cards when he was 19 in Umag you know to start his career off and uh, yeah it's just a brilliant little succession of tournaments those two you could do a casper rude swing david yes yeah. <laughs> pop from one to the other cleaning up post wimbledon on the clay um i'd also say not actually for the tournament but i really would like to go to the tennis hall of fame in newport and be there that week when they do the inductions and i think that would be pretty special and i think that would be That'd be quite a good solo trip, actually, because there's quite a lot to do mm. there, I imagine. Mm. That's a good shout. I I um I picked Charleston for my 500. I know it's uh, women's only, but I'm I'm busting to go to Charleston. It it just looks fun. I mean, full disclosure, I I have just gone fun fun central. I haven't been on holiday in two years. I haven't haven't boarded a plane. I've just shamelessly gone for fun <laughs> on these choices. So I've gone for Charleston. Um, I thought I thought Acapulco was a two fifty, so I thought I could have that, but I've already it's five hundred and I've got got that covered with Charleston. So I'll go for something like I'll shamelessly go for Los Cabos <laughs> or San Jose with my two fifty. Those seem like great holiday destinations. Um and for my one thousand I'd like to go for um Canada combined. 
Uh, now, I know they're in two different cities, the men's and the women's, but I'm going to count it as a combined event and sort of say, can I spend half half the week in Toronto and half in Montreal? I've been to both those tournaments. I've had great experiences at both. They have great fans and crowds. I love the cities. Montreal in particular is just a great place to be. Um, I like where it is in, in the calendar in that it, it's building up to a Grand Slam. Um, yeah. And it's it's fun. Um, so, yes, those are the ones I have gone for. Next question comes from... Ah. How do we say that? Tassina Froze. Tassina Froze. Thank you, David. Tassina Froze <laughs> on Instagram says, I know it's kind of cliche, but would really love to know what you guys like to do in your spare time. Do you guys have any hobbies? Who would like to go first? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> um, I'm so worried about sounding fantastically boring and basic with this answer. I mean, I watch a lot of sport. I spend a lot of my time watching sport, obviously largely tennis, but I watch a lot of football. Uh, I watch a lot of cricket. I mean, I'm about to seriously taper down my cricket watching because we're getting spanked in the ashes. But um, in better times, I watch a lot of cricket. I've been watching a lot of Formula One this season. When the Olympics are on, I will watch, you know, nonstop athletics and swimming and all the rest of it. I do spend a lot of time watching sport. Um I have a dog, so um, I walk the dog a lot and, uh, you know, all the normal human things, friends, family, cinema, theatre, uh, restaurants, food, fun times. Um, and I have a Peloton bike, which I don't talk about it because I don't, don't like to be... Those people that talk about the exercise they do, are those are the worst people. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but yeah, I have a Peloton and I love it. I use it most days. Um, I have favourite instructors and uh, it's it's been an absolute godsend through. I actually, weirdly, I, I had ordered it just before uh, the pandemic came in. So I'd sort of made the decision pre-pandemic, but obviously it's completely come into its own um, during COVID times and everything. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Billie Jean doesn't like it. She always leaves just a tiny gap in the door to the room that the peloton's in, and she's just big enough for her to poke her head through and make me feel guilty. And sometimes when I'm doing stuff on the yoga mat, she'll she'll come and join in in an unhelpful way. <laughs> uh, who's next? Who would like to go? Well, wow! Everyone's rushing to answer this one, aren't they? <laughs> I'm massively in sport as well. Uh, go and, I've now got a season ticket to see my beloved West Bromwich Albion uh, with my son. And uh, and I've got into NFL, which uh, Catherine is also a massive fan of. Um, men it's bending next over. on my list, David. I'm going to cry again, uh, try again. That was Freudian, wasn't it? I'm going to try again <laughs> with NFL. Um, but funny enough... It, a bit like with this podcast, we I seem to, no matter what interest I have, I end up with a podcast that goes with that interest, I think. And I end up sort of, that becomes a way of, I love cooking and I love listening to a, a podcast whilst cooking or something like that. I find that very relaxing and uh, 
therapeutic because <laughs> I mean unfortunately one of my hobbies is probably this so uh, I seem to spend most of my waking hours <laughs> trying to think of uh, podcasts to do or things that we need to do regarding this show so uh, I kind of have to make myself stop um, in order to to uh, you know <laughs> not go over the edge can vouch for that yeah. folks um but uh yeah i don't know i don't know i don't really have many hobbies honestly. i just sort of do all this and well and we do sport. a lot of watching and talking about tennis don't we yeah just, yeah matt save us make us sound more interesting <laughs> <laughs> i mean gosh yeah we are basically just watching sport is sort of what what we all do um I like going to sport. That's uh, mm. that's something I like a lot. I've had a Fulham season ticket for over 10 years. Um, I miss that a lot during, I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but just going to tennis events, going to sporting events, I would, I would consider that a hobby. Um, I always think that's a really special feeling, being at a live sporting event um, and live events in general as well, actually. I, I really like whether they be talks or the theatre i just like being somewhere live um i won't talk about my running so i'm not gonna be one of those people um but it turns that's... out we are we are those people mm, now matt yeah. we should we should set up a whatsapp group just called like you know working out <laughs> <laughs> and send screenshots of strava or strava mm. 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 yes that's been my sort of thing for this year getting into running um and then, and then reading, honestly, would be my other one. I, I read a lot. Matt makes d- uh, book recommendations which will devastate you, <laughs> tear apart your soul, and you'll never be the same person again. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. That's my experience. Well, I discovered Catherine also likes sad books. Hmm. And I've recommended yeah, I, them I, to her. If, if it hadn't been for your last... Oh, actually, no, you made a recommendation last week that I've bought and it's sitting on my bedside table, but I don't know if I'm feeling strong enough for it yet, Matt. Um, I'm still genuinely recovering from the last book recommendation that Matt gave me, which is still on my bedside table, and I still think, think about it probably most days. Whilst I collect recommendations from both of you that I never seem to really get to. Although I have just um, got into third series of Succession, having uh, done the back catalogue, so I'm two, three episodes into that. How's, uh, how's Cobra yeah, Kai su- going, Does Catherine? Succession count as a hobby? Um, I don't know. Is it? I mean, the, given the amount of spare time I seem to have, yes, it is! <laughs> if Succession counts as a hobby, then yes, Succession is my hobby. Um... Yeah, anything else, Matt? Any other book recommendations for for the listeners? Uh, Shall we reveal what those books were that we've teased already? Yes, yes. If if people are listening to my description of having their soul ripped apart and thinking, (laughs) oh, yeah, I want some of that. Uh, It was uh, A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. And it it is the best book I've ever read, but it will tear you apart um so something to consider for the next uh, inevitable lockdown folks I think mm. might might just swerve that one <laughs> for looking for a, looking for a pick me up and what's the new one matt that uh, is sitting on my bedside table waiting to tear me apart it is the great believers by rebecca Mackay. there we go yes um okay so that's that's what we do in our in our spare time you now know exactly how how boring <laughs> this is uh, why we do we so are. many podcasts <laughs> yeah i feel like um tasina froze probably thought one of us was going to reveal that you know we were into um irish dancing or <laughs> shanty singing or you, you know were m- amateur magicians or something in our spare time <laughs> Alas, no, we're very boring and predictable. Next question comes from S. Sipsky on Instagram. Uh, and it is, what, which tennis rule would you change if you had the power? Less faff, Sipsky, less faff. Mm. I'm going to umbrella that in, into one rule. All rules governing faff should be adjusted to reduce faff. Matt, you go. Well, I was going to say the net rule on on serve, and I think that would be a way of reducing faff. Um, yep. I think co-signed. I, I think the more I think about this, the more I realise so often a let on a serve is marginal and makes no difference whatsoever, and it, you know, the point purely gets stopped because that's the rule, even though it's really made basically zero impact on the point. 
I've seen it in junior slams where the you know if it hits the net on serve you play on it's quite a fun additional element and very very rarely does it just stop you know does it just plop over the net and end the point that way and honestly even if it does well we do that in rallies so why would we not do it in serves um i think generally i wouldn't change that many rules about tennis but that that feels like one that could change probably wouldn't have a massive impact on the sport i think we'd probably just get used to it and and you'd think oh fine we play nets on serve like i I don't think it's i don't think it's groundbreaking i just think it would be a a small improvement i want to have open mics in every coach's box and an option on your tv to turn that on and off in terms of whether you you can choose to not listen to that i want i want to have much more interactivity in that regard or much more control for the viewer i know that's not specifically a rule of of the sport although i think open mics is um and if you're going to allow coaching then fine okay but we have to hear every single word that is uttered in that coaching box Mm -hmm. or have the option to um and yeah the the tv viewer has the option to have just ambient sound of of a crowd and no commentary or just commentary or just open mic and ambient sound so you've got some control i'd love to see that and um so that everybody can be a bit more selective but also that there's no hiding place a bit like with the f1 where you you can listen in to the interactions between uh, over the radio over the team radio mm. a bit and, more of that flavor and, and that's something tennis has dabbled with i suppose mm. you know put the toe in the water a bit you know labor cup has done that a bit atp cup is is probably that's probably the thing it does best i think actually mm. really bringing us into those team conversations and i agree there i like hearing them they are fascinating but i'm interested whether how it works in non-team events i guess the next gen finals we've seen it a bit but you definitely want to have an, an unfiltered feed available, David, rather than like with the F1, where obviously there is, there is a producer in the gallery listening across all the time and they will bring something to the attention of the viewer if it's pertinent or interesting. You know, you'd be listening to a lot of, oh, I need to go to the loo or... Oh, you know, my wife just texted me. Right, okay. I I think it's optional, though. You you wouldn't have that just as something you couldn't get rid of. I think you need to have a version that is controlled by a director so that they are selecting what's worth going in the main broadcast. But then you could have three or four different red-button options so that you either have it all the time or you don't have it at all. Um you know, these would be interesting variations. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because that that insight, that sort of real feeling of peeking behind the curtain, you you don't get much of that in tennis. It's one of the things that's really drawn me in about F F one, the way the way the broadcast is presented with the viewer with the viewer in mind. Or where where the whole product is presented. And I know a lot of people think that 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 went too far in the final final race of the season that the product was put ahead of the integrity of the sport that's a whole other debate but that that has drawn me in and I do think tennis needs to do more of that but as you say there has been dabbling with like miking up the players I don't think works um I know it's been done at exhibitions and so on but I just 
I don't know. I, I don't think miking up the players ever really works. I do think the mic, the microphone at the um, the umpires. Now, you know, sometimes when when a uh, the physio comes on for an injury timeout, and the commentator goes, "Let's see if we can listen in." You know, it shouldn't be. Oh, let's see if the microphone is positioned well enough that we can. You know, either we are allowed to hear that, in which case it should be absolutely technically set up so we get it instantly and it's audible. It shouldn't be. Oh, let's play the fun game of of seeing what we get here. Um, that always seems a bit a bit weird to me. Um, but yeah, okay, co-signed on all of that. Um, if I had to pick one FAF-related modification, it would be that when a match is called and a player doesn't show up on time, forfeit. Your match has been called. You have, you know, depending on what the journey is to the court or whatever, you have 90 seconds or whatever. If you don't show up, that is a forfeit. Done. The the ludicrous scenario of, you know, cutting to pictures of one player waiting around in the tunnel while another one's having a last-minute nervous wee or whatever. Outrageous. Catherine's whole disposition changes when she starts talking about Fab and Dennis. Outrageous. Well, you didn't... You didn't can you imagine... I mean, can you imagine Solly Hole Simon, David, just waiting around at the net 10 minutes for you? No. He'd say, sorry, David, you didn't show up. (laughs) And imagine if there were millions of TV viewers on on you. I know that's a stretch, but... Ow. Mm. (laughs) But think how gutted all those millions of TV viewers would be if the match just wasn't on. Yeah, Matt, exactly that. But yeah. but that wouldn't be what would happen. What would what would happen, would Matt, is that players would show up on time. <laughs> yeah, we always. And it show really up on wouldn't. Time. It really wouldn't be that big an imposition on them. No, I agree. I do agree. It is ridiculous. And and actually, the whole issue of start time I find annoying in tennis. Like the first match of the day is on at eleven o'clock. The first ball is normally eleven fifteen. Mm-hmm. Like you just you sort of instantly on the back foot, get them on the court before eleven and have them start at eleven. Preach! Oh my god! Just yeah, it's, it's so ludicrous when you break it down. Um, yeah, okay. I, I, we need to move on before I <laughs> before I really nosedive into faff territory. Okay, uh, the final question uh, picked out by Mike is to say i'm fascinated by team events in tennis and we had a we had a question on the labor cup didn't we last week um he says from the atp cup davis cup hopman cup and even the labor cup i think the team dynamic is fun and refreshing in an otherwise individual sport i'm curious what would be your vision if we mastermind what would be your vision if you were the mastermind, sorry, behind creating a team-based World Cup of Tennis to be played every four years? My dream would be to have the top 16 or 32 countries play an ATP Cup-style format with each match-up uh, being played as one men's singles match, one women's singles match and one mixed doubles match. What do you think would be the top three countries in this format? Okay, so we've got two... two different subsets of the question here 
so let's go with the the second part first in that format that Mike describes. Uh, top 16 or 32 countries, one men's singles, one women's singles, one mixed doubles. Who do you think would be the top three countries in this format? Definitely Russia. Yep. Spain. Yeah, Spain. Yep. Those would be the top two, I think. Yeah, because uh, I'm thinking Badosa and yeah. Muguruza and then all the Spanish players, mm. including young and experienced. Um, and obviously Russia have won both Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup. And ATP Cup. US are strong if you combine men and women, yeah. I think. And probably getting stronger over the next few years. They've got some some young players, I think. Mm. I, I mean, in terms of the format, I, I think I, I quite like the idea of it being the best of five rubbers in each match um, so that you can still have men's doubles and women's doubles as part of it as well. Um, mm. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, look, pretty much you've nailed it. I think it's every four years. It's it's a it's a world a world group or a sort of finals uh, event. But then between them, you have a, a qualifying process that could allow you to have some some home and away. Um, but you've just got to combine these events and distill them so that you get everybody on board behind the one, the one big one, and and bring in men and women. And I think it absolutely could work if, if there was enough investment, not just financially, but just of emotion and intent and effort. There is There is definitely something there. There's a massive missed opportunity because tennis is the best sport in the world in terms of having men and women both playing it, in terms of its mm. appeal, its popularity, its its established nature already, and what a waste that it that it doesn't already exist in the way that it should. Mm. And I always find it interesting when we do these listener questions specials. There's inevitably a question about team tennis. I, I think people like it, and I think they care about it. And I remember earlier in the year, I'm, I'm sure David had a had a really detailed proposal of his World Cup of Tennis. And, and, and we sort of talked about it then as well. And it comes up a lot. People, I think, realise that the current state is inadequate or disappointing or doing the sport short. You know, we've got lots of good team events, I think, but we haven't got one great one. And yeah, I do think... Yeah, every four years, maybe even every two years, you could do a World Cup of tennis with qualifying on the year you're not playing um, and make it combined. And I agree. I think I would like to see men's and women's doubles in there as well. But yeah, this is this is the right sort of thing. But as as David says, it requires investment of all kinds and it requires unity in tennis, the like of which we don't really see. Um, mm. so those are the sort of things holding it back I think I, I think well, I think what we all want what the, the the one significant or the biggest desirable for a World Cup of Tennis is for it to matter for it to matter to the viewers for it to matter to the players we want everyone to care about it as much as possible and there are lots of different ways to engineer that. I I like all of your suggestions. I really think just 
reducing the frequency of them occurring will do a lot of that for you. It's the one sim- simplest mechanism um, to to just make it matter more, make make them less, make it less frequent. I think, even, yeah, as you say, Matt, even every two years. I mean, look at how much the Ryder Cup matters in golf. Um, yeah, and obviously... It, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, I think you could have an amazing team event every year if there was not another one that's quite similar mm. in six weeks or mm. I don't, I don't think anybody, Eve, even a an, a fervent Labour Cup fan or, you know, even the ATP, or I, I just can't believe that there is anybody in tennis that, you know, in their heart of hearts would say the current situation is is anywhere close to ideal. They'd say if you were starting from scratch, you you would design a separate Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup, and then you'd have uh, the Labour Cup a few weeks before it, but occupying a spot in the calendar where uh, Davis and Fed Cup, uh, a Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers could be, and then you'd have an ATP Cup a few weeks later, but not a corresponding WTA Cup, um, and there would be a distant memory of a Hopman Cup that that got canned sort of straight after having its best ever best ever event um yeah no nobody's designing that from scratch are they i mean oh it's so tiresome isn't it we have we've been having this conversation at regular intervals for so long now and there's there's no end in sight there was there were rumors this year weren't there that that the atp cup was was going to combine um with something else but obviously that hasn't happened the ATP Cup currently as it stands is is full steam ahead so uh, will we be having this identical conversation in 12 months time folks will anything have changed I thought you were going to say 12 years time I mean I I could imagine that Um, tennis doesn't move very quickly and so many things repeat themselves Matt any more optimism nope (laughs) great Mike (laughs) we'll see you back here in a year to answer your question again with the exact same answer brilliant but everybody can't wait this has been our last tennis podcast of the year folks Um, don't worry we'll be back very soon because tennis is back very soon it all gets underway um, and we'll be talking about it very soon indeed. Um, who knows how the next few weeks are going to unfold. I'm not going to ask for predictions on that front because it feels impossible at this stage. Um, but fingers crossed that the Australian tennis season proceeds um, and, uh, yeah, everybody just stay safe as you possibly can um these are these are challenging times but just to uplift you in these challenging times i have news of slugger our mascot for the week slugger is a 7 year old cavoodle which is what americans call a cavapoo which is what billy jean is uh, slugger is owned by jay um, a long-time listener and supporter and communicator with us. Uh, we love Jay. And up until this point, I had no idea that Jay was keeping Slugger a secret. Slugger, I mean, there's a picture here taken on the 12th of July 2014, and it could be Billie Jean. That little face. 
Um, and we've got another picture here. Oh, also like Billie Jean before she's had a haircut. And then we've got a more distinguished distinguished uh, picture of Slugger where he looks quite a lot like Magnus, actually, who's, of course, Billie Jean's older brother. See, I left it to the end, David. I was allowed to go, go big because I left it to the end. Good work. Slugger is wonderful. And uh, Billie Jean, who's sat just over my left sh- shoulder, sends sends much cavoodle love and solidarity to Slugger. And I had a little story from Jay. Um, said, weirdest coincidence, I was working at my bookshop at the Queen Vic Market in Melbourne the other day, listening to the latest episode of the tennis podcast when a customer came in and said, oh, that's the tennis podcast. That's my favourite podcast. We immediately bonded, Jay said. She and her husband both listened to each episode together, which is a lovely thought. Anyway, I mentioned to listen out for Slugger being the New Year mascot. And she said, oh, I've often wondered who those strange people are putting up their pets as mascots. Now I know one. (laughs) (laughs) So big shout out to my bookshop tennis buddy. Oh, that's so lovely. Mm, Marvellous. You're not. You're not weird people. You're cool people. You're great. Um, and I was going to say, if you want to become one of those cool people, then um, sign up to become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. But am I right in saying all of our pet, ma- pet mascot slots have gone? They have, yeah. Yeah, all of them for 2022. I mean, all you can still become a friend, but not at the pet mascot level. You can still get shout outs and intros, etc., but not any pet slots mm, because they're all the gone shelves, folks they're all gone um but yeah there are still plenty more slots and rewards available of course the primary reward that every friend of the tennis podcast gets is access to the dedicated friends of the podcast feed which features um a bonus content throughout the year there's already uh, one new podcast on there called my first wimbledon um, and there's six podcasts from our archive on there as well. There'll be two new editions of Tennis Relived uh, before the Australian Open, which are in the planning stage at the moment. So extra pods throughout the year and you get to be officially our friend and you get to help and support us and feel our warmth and love, which, you know, I like to think of as priceless. <laughs> but it is available <laughs> at various different at various different prices via the link in our show notes so head there to begin to become a friend of the tennis podcast um sum up 2021 in one word david this has gone well hasn't it um promising <laughs> promising yeah we're right at the end of it david there's not Promise, long yeah, for it to deliver on its promise but no but promising for the future for, for the for encouraging okay, great okay matt um <laughs> unpredictable great other than for Catherine winning the newsletter predictions just i thought i i thought i should be the one to say that so you didn't have to Catherine. and what a note that is to end on um yes my word for 2021 would be victorious <laughs> Um, I wish you could see the face that David is making quite now. It's brilliant. It makes it all worthwhile. Thank you so much for listening throughout this year. We'll be back next year or next week, rather. We'll be back really soon. Don't worry, we're not leaving you in the lurch for long. But um, 
as always, the podcast uh, has been incredibly important to all of us this year. So thank you for making it possible. Thank you to everybody who's played a part in it all. Patrick, um, Woolly, Sarah Woolly. Who else would we like to thank? Jib. Jib, our editor, um, our new editor. So thank you. Thank you to everybody that's played a part in it all. Hannah. Hannah and Andrew, Andrew on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure. This sounds like we're, we're we're never coming back, doesn't it? We're back next week, folks. Don't worry. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we have had our mascots, Rogue, Scousel, Mousel and Zeus. Zeus and I, of course, hashtag victorious. Billie Jean has had Billie Jean King. We have had Chris Albert Lee, our executive producer and all around top bloke. And uh, for this week, we have had Slugger the lovely mascot, and we've had Mike Lee, our guest editor for these uh, for these listener question specials. So thank you, Mike. You've done us proud, as have you for listening this year. We'll be back in 2022. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.